0: Well, good morning. Um, It's good to be here with you, here with you, wherever you are. Uh, It's still very weird talking into a camera, but we're glad uh, you're with us this morning. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you haven't gathered your supplies for communion, to do that now, because we're actually going to be taking it uh, in a few minutes as part of the message this morning. Uh, So if you need to get some juice and some bread or crackers, uh, please please gather that now. Uh, we're definitely in a unique season this COVID reality that we're in and uh, there's lots of difficulty and challenge and struggle. Uh, one of the things that I've tried to do is look for some of the lighter side of things in this reality just to keep the mood a little more positive positive. And so I've noticed uh, a lot of celebration in the last week or so on social media as hairstylists and barbers begin to open up. Uh, a number of you, probably men especially, who are used to getting, say, the monthly haircut, uh, it's been a couple months, and you're glad that you can get back and get their haircut. Ladies, I won't even go into some of the drama that you're dealing with, you know, coloring and all that kind of stuff, um, but our hair, you know, is not really that important, but it is kind of a big deal to us and um, so i 've been having a little bit of fun with this because for the last decade, I cut my own hair. Uh, I got tired of paying cheap uh, money for cheap haircuts, and uh, I figured, you know what I can just do this myself. I bought myself a set of clippers, I put on my number two attachment, and I just do the you know the easy haircut all the way around i 've been doing that for about a decade I've, i don 't even know how much money i 've saved doing that probably i don 't know is it into the thousands of dollars possibly, but uh, So yeah, that's been my hairstyle, and then when this whole COVID reality hit, it was time for my, you know, bi-weekly haircut, and I said to my family, should I start growing my hair long? Like, everybody else is doing it because they have to. Maybe I should just, you know, as an act of solidarity, start growing my hair out. So I don't know if you can really tell, but uh, it is getting a little bit longer. You know, I'm kind of doing the mop top, sort of chia head sort of thing, and, uh, you know, what started out... Are you going to zoom in on me? Is that what you're doing? Okay, so, yeah. You know, it is coming in pretty good, you know? I've got, like, the little, you know, sort of bushy uh, hairdo going on here. But I'm at this dilemma. You can keep it zoomed in, because this will be funny. Um, my dilemma is this right here. I've got this bald spot that, uh, you know, it, when I cut my hair short, it kind of hides the bald spot. You start growing it out. It gets to that awkward stage. So I'm at this awkward stage right now where I'm debating, do I keep it growing or do I cut it right down? So some of you like to comment on our Facebook feed, and this is an opportunity for you to give your feedback. Grow it or buzz it. Those are your two options. If you have any opinion, and I know... 95% of you don't care. Mom, I know you're watching. You might have an opinion. Um, But if you want to share your voice, grow it or buzz it. And it could be for whatever reason. Maybe you just want to see me with long hair. Maybe you actually have practical advice that would help me with this bald spot reality. Is it better to be short or long? Uh, Do I have to do the Pastor Tim do? I know he kind of shares in my, you know, bald spot-ness there. Um, So yeah, grow it or buzz it. And uh, I'll take your feedback into consideration as I continue to process whether or not I should cut my hair. Now, you're probably wondering why in the world I'm talking about haircuts. Um, As I've been going through this season of growing my hair out, I've been envious of the days when I was 16, 17, 18 years old, and I had this, like, amazing Quaff of hair. It was the old-fashioned mullet. I know that's not really a hairdo that you can, uh, you know, do these days anymore. But I used to have quite the mane of hair. It came like halfway down my back. And so as I'm growing my hair out, I'm thinking, why can't I have that that kind of hair again? That would really help me with the bald spot. Um, again, why am I talking about hair? So as a teenager, as a young man who desired to follow Jesus, this was a bit of an issue in the church that I that I grew up in, and uh, we had debates. How long could a, a man's hair be if he really wanted to follow Jesus? Does it have to be a certain length? You know, is there a certain cutoff? You know, how long could it be? Uh, we had other kinds of debates about wearing hats in church and whether or not you had to take your hat off to pray and things like that. And it was all around these issues of what does it mean to obey Jesus? What does it mean to faithfully follow Jesus? I kind of poked some fun at my mom earlier, and I'm thankful that my parents didn't make this an issue. I know there was a few sort of moments, but this wasn't really an issue. I knew they loved me and accepted me regardless of how long my hair was. Um, They didn't see it as a, a sign of my spirituality. But it got me thinking as a young person, as a teenager, what does it mean to obey Jesus? What does it mean to faithfully follow him? And is there certain behaviors that are acceptable or unacceptable? And a lot of the emphasis that I saw in my church culture growing up was on sort of the do's and don'ts of following Jesus. And it seemed like there was a lot of don'ts. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't participate in this. Don't, you know, let your hair grow long. Whatever the don't might be. And as a young person, as a young follower of Jesus who really did want to follow Jesus, I remember sort of wrestling with these issues of what does it mean to obey Jesus, and I kind of started asking the question of myself, there's got to be something more to this than just a list of do's and don'ts. What does it really look like to follow Jesus and to obey him? And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're continuing in our series, God is for Us, and this morning we're talking about how he's for us in our obedience, and what does it look like to obey Jesus? What does it look like to follow him faithfully? We're going to be in John chapter 15, and uh, we've been sort of camping out in uh, John 14 through 16 for the last few weeks, and Pastor Terry last week talked about uh, the imagery of the vine and the branches, which is at the very beginning of chapter 15, and we're going to pick up, kind of overlap a little bit with where he was last week. We're going to look at uh, verses 9 to 17, and kind of keep last week in mind this imagery that If we want to be fruit-bearing disciples, we need to remain connected to the vine. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. And his desire is that we bear fruit. And we will only bear fruit as we remain in Jesus, as as we stay connected to him. So keep that image in the backdrop. And let's uh, look at John 15, verses 9 to 17. As the Father has loved me... Each other. Let's just pause and pray again, just inviting Jesus to speak to us from His Word. So, Jesus, we thank you for these words that you spoke to your disciples a couple thousand years ago. And we thank you that in the presence of this day, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will make these words come alive to us. And so, Jesus, we want to pay attention to what you're saying to us. Holy Spirit, would you speak through these words? We'll do our best to open our ears, to hear, to open our hearts, to receive from you. So we invite you to speak. Help us to listen. We pray this in your name. Amen. So we're going to look at kind of three main ideas through this passage, and kind of in the the backdrop, again, just keep in mind that Jesus uses himself as our example. As we're talking about obedience, he talks about his relationship with Father God, and, and this... Sort of love and obedience that's expressed in their relationship. That's the example for us. So we are to follow Jesus' example. And the first thing we see, um, before we even talk about what it looks like to obey Jesus, we have to sort of wrestle with this reality that God's love is the foundation of our obedience. God's love is the foundation of our obedience to Jesus. Verse 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. That uh, phrase, remain in, remain in my love, there's a few different translations that have used a couple different words. But uh, this idea of remaining in or abiding in or dwelling in, uh, I think the message uses the language of make yourself at home in my love. We are to be familiar with Jesus' love for us. We are to be immersed and at home and settled into God's love for us. And God's love for us is really the foundation that sets us up to be able to obey Jesus. He says, as the Father has loved me. So Jesus uses himself as the example. And it reminds me of Jesus' baptism. So before Jesus had even entered into sort of full-time ministry... Jesus was baptized, and at his baptism, God the Father spoke over Jesus, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, Jesus had about 30 years of life up to this point, but he hadn't really done anything public. He hadn't really shown off the reality that he was God, the Son of God. And so God the Father spoke his words of affirmation over Jesus before he even did anything. Jesus knew he was loved. He was remaining in God the Father's love for him. We are to be at home in God's love for us. I want to just tell a story from Luke chapter 15, and many of you have probably heard this story, but it's the story of the lost son or the prodigal son, as we often call it. We actually sang earlier about how uh, God's love is so reckless for us that He chases the, the one, when one of the sheep leave. You know, He leaves the ninety-nine and chases the one. That's the first story, and then uh, the, the next story is the lost coin, and the, the story after that is the lost son. So, Luke fifteen, Jesus tells this story that there was a man with two boys. And the younger boy said to his dad, Dad, can you give me half of the estate? I want to go, basically I've had enough of you, I want to disown you. I want my portion that's allotted to me and I'm going to take it and kind of live life on my own terms. And So the father actually granted this request of his younger son, gave him half the inheritance and the younger son went off and spent it in wild living, the scriptures say. He partied hard, and he spent all of the inheritance, and he kind of came to the end of his rope, and and then to top it off, there was a famine in the land where he was, and and so he was desperate, desperate for for food and desperate for money, desperate for a living. And so he went, and he actually worked in a pig pen, giving slop to pigs, and he was so at the end of his rope that he desired the slop that the pigs were eating. And it was at the end of his rope that he just kind of came to his senses and said, maybe I should go back to my father's house. Maybe he'll have enough grace and compassion for me that he'll at least take me in as one of his servants. I know I don't deserve to be one of his children. I've kind of disowned him. He's probably disowned me, but maybe he'll take me in as a servant. And so he goes back home. He starts making the journey home. And as he's traveling back, it says uh, in the scriptures, as Jesus recounts this story, um, That uh, while he was a long way off, the father um, saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to to his son, he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. And so they began to celebrate. And so we see this overwhelming love that the father had for his lost son. And then this party starts to kick into gear. And the older son, he comes along and he kind of says you know, to his, his friends, what's going on here? And they said, oh, your, your little brother came home and your dad's throwing a party for him. He's so happy and they're celebrating. The older brother, it says that he became really angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and he pleaded with him. But the older son answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But now this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, and you kill the fattened calf for him. And the father says to his son, You've always been with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The story Jesus is telling is a picture of God's love for us, and it's a picture of God's love for both the younger son and the older son and how God's love uh, is, is for all And in this story, the father's love was for both of his boys, the younger one and the older one. And the two boys responded very differently. The younger boy, at the end of his rope, came back and received whatever love the father was going to pour out on him. The older brother was resistant. He had lived with his father the whole time, but actually hadn't experienced the fullness of his father's love. They have a feast, a celebration feast, and you might call it a love feast. And that's where I want to bring us to the Lord's table this morning. And I know we're kind of doing this a little bit out of order, but I want us to look at the Lord's table as a love feast this morning. The Father's love for you. The Lord's table represents a table where all of us who were once dead have been made alive in Christ because of what Jesus did He laid down his life so that we could have life. Those of us who were dead are now alive in Christ. Those of us who were lost are now found in Christ. And because of what Jesus has done, because of God's love in sending his Son for you and I, we can gather at this table and celebrate his love. God's love truly is the foundation of our lives, which will lead to us living out obedient lives for Jesus, but we need to sort of settle this matter of God's love for us first. So this is a celebration table, and I would encourage you to take the elements that you have prepared. Take that bread or cracker or whatever it is, and as we take this this morning, be reminded that this represents Jesus' body which he gave for you. He laid down his life so that you could have life. So let's take the bread and be reminded of Jesus' sacrifice for us. Let's take together. And then we take the cup. And the cup re- represents Jesus' blood, which was shed for us for forgiveness of sin. So that we could be restored into right relationship with God. So that we could come to the table and receive God's love for us. That we could take up our identity as God's children. We have peace with God because of Jesus' blood which was shed for us. So let's take the cup and be reminded of Jesus' sacrifice and the forgiveness that is possible through this. the father in the story of the prodigal son, through a celebration feast. God the Father has thrown a feast for us, representing his love for us. And I really want to encourage you to think about who you are in that story, whether you're the younger son or the older son. Have you fully received God's love for you? Are you making yourself at home in his love for you? Is your identity rooted in the reality that you are a child of God, his beloved son, his beloved daughter? God's love is the foundation of our obedience to Jesus. The second thing we see in this passage is that intimacy with Jesus is the motivator of our obedience to Jesus. Intimacy with Jesus is the motivator of our obedience to Jesus. Look at verses 12 to 15. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no end than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus talks to his disciples and he uses this picture of servants And friends, or slaves and friends. And he kind of contrasts them that you are no longer my servants or my slaves, you are my friends. And if you think about servants, their obedience to their master might be a little different than the obedience of a friend to a friend. A servant or a slave will take instruction and direction from their master because the master is the boss. Or in our culture, maybe it's more of the employee and the employer. The employee employee will take direction from the employer because they're the boss. And if they don't follow through on the instructions, they might be out of a job. So the motivation for obedience might be not the purest of motivations. But if you think about the motivation from a friend to a friend... A friend is likely to obey another friend because of the character of the friend that they're friends with, the love and the respect that they have for their friend. One of my best friends uh, in the world, he lives in Brooks, he's a pastor there, we've been in touch uh, since he's lived in Brooks uh, for a number of years now, and our friendship goes back to when I was 16 years old. So more than half my life, we've been friends. We were best men in each other's weddings, and we've, uh, we've had a relationship for the years since I was 16 years old. If my friend Dave came to me and said, Craig, would you do this one thing for me, I probably don't even need to ask him why because of our friendship. I trust that whatever he's asking me to do, there's some good reason for why he's asking me to do it. He's not going to put me in harm's way for no reason. He's not going to make me look, uh, you know, not make me embarrassed for doing whatever he's going to ask me to do. I trust Dave. I respect him. And if he asks me to do something, I'm likely to do, likely to obey because of our friendship, our relationship. In a similar way, Jesus is sort of imploring upon his disciples to obey him out of friendship, not out of this sort of hierarchical relationship of servant to slave, even though, or sorry, servant to master, even though Jesus is their master, he is the rabbi, he is the son of God, he has every right to implore upon us to respond as servants or slaves, but he actually uses the language of friendship which speaks of intimacy. It speaks of getting to know one another. It speaks of loving and trusting the other person. Even as Jesus uses the words here in this passage, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father. I have made known to you. Jesus is, uh, he's been communicating the heart of the Father to his disciples. He's been communicating God's purposes to his disciples. And so he's he's making everything known. They have this intimate relationship with him. And it's out of this intimacy that Jesus invites them to respond in obedience. So intimacy with Jesus is the motivator of our obedience to Jesus. And the last thing we see here in this passage is really the bottom line of it all. Loving others is the bottom line of our obedience to Jesus. If I was to go back to myself as a 16 or 17-year-old young person desiring to follow Jesus, not sure, what does that look like? Is it a certain length of hair or what is it? I would tell myself, Craig, if you really want to love Jesus and follow him and obey him, it's about loving others. Verse 17, this is my command, love each other. Verse 12, he said it earlier, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Again, Jesus is the example, and so let's look to his example and come back to the table again. A couple of chapters earlier in the book of John, John chapter 13, Jesus uh, has the last supper with the disciples, and he says in verse 34 of chapter 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's not by the length of your hair. It's not by how you look or how you dress or how you act. As long as you're acting in love towards one another, that's how the world will know that you are my disciples. And so our passage in in John 15 really is building off of this new command that Jesus has given his disciples to love one another. And earlier in that passage in chapter 13, before the Last Supper, it says that Jesus took a pitcher of water, and I should have put this on the other side because now I'm pouring left-handed. But Jesus poured water into a basin. And he took that basin of water And he took a towel, and he walked around to each of his disciples, and he began to wash their feet. The disciples were a little bit dumbfounded by this, because this was the job of a servant or a slave. And now Jesus, their master, their rabbi, their teacher, had humbled himself, had stripped down, knelt down at each of their dirty feet, and began washing them. It was like a total cultural no-no for this to be happening. And so Jesus, Jesus did this. He washed their feet. And then at the end of this episode, he turns to them and he says, do you understand what I've done for you? He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus gave them, he did this, you know, out of love for them, but he gave them this example that we are to follow. What does it look like to love one another, to love the people in our lives? It means picking up a metaphorical towel. You're probably not going to be washing everybody's feet, but picking up a towel and serving the people in your life. Picking up a towel and looking for practical ways to reach out in love and service and humility to serve and love the people around you. So a question to consider might be, what would it look like to pick up a towel and serve? Maybe for some of you, it's actually picking up a literal towel and serving the people in your home, washing dishes, doing, you know, some act of service and kindness You know, maybe it's uh, a metaphorical towel of serving the people on your street or in your neighborhood, uh, serving the people in your workplace, whatever that looks like in these days, serving the people in your church family. What would it look like for you to pick up a towel and reach out in love and serve the people around you? The second aspect of the Lord's table that we're reminded of, which Jesus says in our passage here today Chapter 15, verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. The elements that we just took are a reminder that Jesus laid down his life for you and I. That's the greatest act of love. And in our lives, maybe it means laying down our lives in some way for the people around us. Laying down our hopes, our dreams, laying down our opinions, laying down whatever it might be for the sake of another. Jesus' command to us, if we want to follow him faithfully in obedience, his command is to love each other, to pick up a towel and serve, to lay down our lives for the sake of others. One of the realities that's sort of tearing at my heart in these days <clears throat> is the reality that we are in this unique season of COVID, and we're starting to talk about re-engaging and sort of getting back to more of a normal. And, uh, and in this reality, there's sort of two ends of a spectrum um, I actually saw an article earlier this week that sort of outlined these two ends of the spectrum very well. One is hashtag stay at home, and one is hashtag end the lockdown. And you have these two extremes where there's people as we begin to reopen society, some are just can't wait to reopen, and others are maybe afraid, and so we have this hashtag stay at home and hashtag end the lockdown. I think everybody has a right to their opinion. One of the tragedies that I'm seeing is when we start accusing people in the other side of the pendulum or in the other camp. When we start judging them or making accusations against them or we try to convince them that our opinion is better than theirs and the reality is we're all trying to figure this out together. I think Jesus' words to us are crucial words in these days that we are in. To love one another... What does it look like for someone who's in the hashtag end the lockdown extreme to love the people in the hashtag stay at home camp? Or what does it look like for the hashtag stay at home people to love the hashtag end the lockdown? I think you can have your opinions, but what does it look like to extend grace and compassion and maybe to reach out in love to people on both ends of the spectrum? What does it look like for you to pick up your towel and serve? What does it look like for you to lay down your life for the sake of another? Let me just wrap up with a a few more questions, kind of going through this outline this morning. If God's love really is the foundation of our obedience to Jesus, maybe you need to wrestle with that. And some questions for you to consider. Am I fully embracing God's love for me? Am I making myself at home in his love? Is God's love for me shaping what I think about myself? Is God's love forming my identity? Am I living out of the depth of his love for me? The second point was about intimacy and how intimacy with Jesus motivates us to obey Jesus. And so maybe some questions to think about there. Am I growing in my relationship with Jesus? Am I, am I growing in my intimacy with Jesus? Am I getting to know him better? Am I understanding his heart and his purposes more? Am I getting to know him as a friend, spending time with him, so that my obedience is an outflow of my relationship with Jesus? And then lastly, if loving others is the bottom line of our obedience to Jesus, Am I willing to pick up a towel and to serve the people in my home, on my street, in my workplace, in my church, family? Am I willing to set aside my personal ambitions, my opinions, my goals, whatever it might be for the sake of another? Am I willing to lay down my life the way Jesus laid down his life for us? I'm going to invite the worship team to come and lead us in response. Let me just pray as they come and as we prepare ourselves to respond in worship. Jesus, we thank you that you are our example for how to live and how to act, how to love. Thank you that you immersed yourself in the Father's love for you and and we can look to your example and we desire to immerse ourselves in his love for us as well. We desire to grow in intimacy and friendship with you, and we desire to love others well. Holy Spirit, would you be speaking to us this morning about what that looks like for each and every one of us? What would it look like for us to pick up a towel and serve? What would it look like for us to lay down our lives for the sake of another? What would it look like for us to follow your example and to be known by the world as a people who are in love with you And in love with one another, may they see us as the people of God, as a changed people, rooted in God's love for us, living out that love towards one another. So grow us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.